Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Unlocking Lockup, the podcast designed exclusively for legal firms seeking to tackle challenges managing debt and work in progress, otherwise known as lockup. I'm your host, Victoria Ritchie, Head of Professional and Business Services Sector for HSBC UK. And in this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Giles Murphy, Head of Professional Practice at Evelyn Partners and Claire Burden now Head of Advisory Consulting at Evelyn Partners, who joined Evelyn having held CFO and finance positions across a number of sectors, so has first-hand experience of managing lockup. So why are we exploring this topic today? In the legal profession, debt recovery and WIP management are critical factors that can significantly impact the financial health and operational efficiency of a firm. We discuss practical tips and success stories from our two legal experts who have supported firms through these challenges. Join us on a journey as we explore the best practices and innovative solutions that will transform the way you handle these critical aspects of your legal business. Giles and Claire have experience advising clients and overseeing lockup in their own careers, so it'd be fascinating to hear their top tips for unlocking lockup. Hello and welcome, Giles and Claire. Uh, thank you, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be here today. Hi, thanks for inviting us. It's a really top topic for us at the moment in the sector. It really is pertinent, isn't it, at the moment? And, uh, and we've, we've heard how much lockup can cost business. But let's focus on a specific example. What does this really mean for law firms, Giles? Yeah, I think whenever we're talking to particularly partners in law firms, the starting point is to go right the way back to basics. What do we mean by, by lockup here? And if we take an example of someone starting to do a work for a client, say on the 1st of January, that month, obviously the firm will have to pay wages. There'll be other bills to pay. So there'll be money going out of the firm. But if we take an example of where well, you're 150 days of lockup, that means that the firm won't actually get paid until the end of May. So it'll have wages going out in January, February, March, April, et cetera, that it needs to fund before money starts to come in from the client at the end of May. And that ultimately is what lockup is all about. It's the working capital of the firm that's locked up that the firm can't access. And the problem, of course, here is that the longer that that cycle is, the more money that the firm needs to reserve to pay the ongoing costs of the business. Yeah, so thanks, Charles. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, the sector has had some extremely buoyant uh, performances in the last couple of years. And I know that you've been a big advocate for unlocking lockup and, and talking to, to these firms, uh, you know, for many, many years about how this impacts these firms. What do you think is different about now? You know, we, we talk about being really pertinent and lots of firms are talking about doing something now. So why, why now? Yeah, I think we should reflect that the UK legal sector um, is a phenomenal success story in terms of UK PLC. You know, we export legal services globally. However, to me, the one Achilles heel it has is its woeful performance in terms of lockup management. Uh, if, if we take something, for example, just as simple as going to visit the dentist, which you and I, we all have to go and do on a regular basis, 
But when I go into a dental practice, the moment I come out, I have to get my credit card out and I have to pay for that service. So their lockup is zero. It is literally, I pay for the service on the day I receive it. Contrast that with the example we talked about of the 150 days, which is, is not unusual for a law firm. Mm, no, absolutely. And I suppose, you know, the firms that are or have encountered uh, challenges around our lock-in lock-up, what have they been doing in terms of bridging that finance gap that's been created by cash lock-up? Well, I, well, I guess to an extent they've been coming to HSBC to, to borrow some money. <laughs> We don't mind that. We don't, <laughs> we don't mind doing that. So maybe there is a, every cloud has a silver lining. Um, but, but in terms of funding this gap that we've got to deal with, how, how do firms do that? Um, well, essentially, there's broadly sort of three ways to do it. One is you need to inject partner capital in the firm. Uh, and of course, a lot of partners will come and borrow that money off HSBC uh, and maybe some others. Um, the alternative is, of course, the firm borrows the money um, to, uh, to actually fund this gap. Or alternatively, partners have to wait a lot longer for a distribution of their profits that are due to them. Um, and clearly, from a partner perspective, uh, the longer the lockup is, the longer they will probably have to wait for their profits to be distributed. Put in a slightly more positive way, if partners can actually reduce lockup, everything else being equal, they'll be paid their distributions earlier. Absolutely. And just on this, Charles, I mean, I know I know you, you speak to a lot of firms and I've got our views as well. But what do you think is the average lockup? And if I was to ask you today? Yeah, being a, being a prudent accountant, I'll obviously caveat everything I say. But yes, um, I think uh, I think if you if you look across law firms, it will depend upon the type of underlying business you do. I do accept that there are some types of business that will have a longer lockup cycle question is, are you factoring that into your pricing? But there are others that will be shorter. And I think realistically, there's no reason why firms shouldn't be able to get their lock up down to 40, 50 days if they really worked at it. That would be amazing, Giles, wouldn't it? That would be amazing. I think we've also seen, just speaking to our own clients, um, that um, there's been a slight nudging um, upwards uh, in terms of that, that average day, sort of, uh, you know, five to seven days in the, in the last year alone. Uh, largely um, derived from, you know, clients um, seeking to renegotiate payment terms, holding on to their cash a bit longer, waiting for that chase up letter. And if that doesn't come, then they're holding on to that cash longer. Yeah, I, th I think in slightly more straightened economic times, if that's where we're going, clients are going to be more protective about their own cash reserves. Yes. Um, and, you know, if they have the choice of paying the IT supplier to make sure that they're internet access works on a daily basis or paying their lawyer for a service that was done three months ago, I imagine they will choose the IT supplier and they'll put the lawyer's invoice to one side. So uh, I think there are a lot of competing needs for, for clients' money. Mm. The law sector has got to make sure it's high up on that priority list. Absolutely. Well, I, th I suppose one, one uh, there's quite a few areas, isn't there, as to how uh, you're advising businesses and uh, practical tips uh, to unlock lock up. So that might be a good time to bring uh, yourself in, Claire, because you've uh, not only uh, are out there advising in the capacity of, of Evelyn Partners, but you have equally had a, a CFO role and uh, financial roles in the past. So it's clearly something that has been right up there in terms of um, your own background and experiences about how you unlock lock up. Yes, yeah, and particularly in the legal sector and in, in longer lock-up periods, 
we tend to see two main causes of high lockup. Some of it can be the mix of work, um, which can be managed based on um, different activities that the law firm undertakes and, and their diversification of their um, of their portfolios. But a lot of the lockup we see in UK law firms is driven by just poor kind of culture around financial management, um, a lack of processes, controls, IT, um, you know, workflows that VNs could be going through to make it very, very simple for them to follow a process, um, to bill quickly, to bill monthly, and it's all kind of set up as, as the process goes along. Um, but it all is kind of embedded by a culture across lawyers that they, they almost see legal work as separate than financial management. And one of our main things that we do with clients is, is um, shift the focus a bit to make client and engagement management inclusive of financial management to make sure it's talked about all the way through the matter and really kind of covered off through the life cycle of an engagement um, so that nothing comes as a surprise to the client at the end. You don't have the disputes, you don't have the collectability issues towards the end. So it's really quite endemic in, in law firms across a range of different factors. And in your experience, both in a role uh, where you're facilitating the lockup and now today advising uh, businesses around this, what would you say would be, therefore, your top five focus areas that firms that might be listening today should be thinking about? So I'd start with getting the basics right. So making sure that every person in the organisation at the various different levels knows their role and responsibility mm. around billing, around setting up engagements properly and matters with clients um, and around having those conversations with clients and giving them the right toolkit in terms of objection handling and ways to discuss fees with clients. Once that's sorted, IT and workflows would be another tip for investment from my perspective that makes the owners' lives easier if it's all automated for them and that that will just improve lockup considerably if firms make that investment but obviously we have that chicken and egg um that you were talking about earlier around having the it investment cash available mm. from lockup money so there can be an issue there one of the key things as well that we think is really fundamental is making discussions around um fees and billing and whip and debtors part of the day-to-day -day. so it's almost building it into fairness habits of their day-to-day -day working practice so team meetings, management meetings, in client management and case management. And I think the more we see firms talking about cash and lockup day to day through their day job, the higher or the better improvement those firms have and the lower lockup those firms have. And it's, and it's not a coincidence that firms that are very strong at discussing financials with clients and knowing the numbers also have really low lockup. That it kind of goes hand in hand. So it's a cultural point around building habits for me. It's probably one of the key things. Thanks, Claire. That's, that's really, really helpful. And the other thing I was just um, reflecting on, and certainly recent conversation we had with a few firms, they've been bringing CFOs from uh, not necessarily a professional services background, but sort of out of market. You know, we've, we've got FMCG or consumer services uh, background coming in to, to run. And I appreciate that will have its own challenges, of course, because culturally, very different organisations to work within. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a very positive move. A lot of the time when we're discussing with law firms, and I've been in-house myself in a law firm and it, working in finance, I get where people are coming from. There's a reluctance to deal with people that have been from different industries because law is special and different, and it is. But equally, cash is cash, profit is profit. And it's very important for firms to, to kind of remember that and bring that commerciality. So, so some of these new CFOs that are coming in from outside are a real breath of fresh air and they're making some really tangible headway. Claire, one thing I'm interested to, to hear from you is, but do you think it is a good idea 
to incentivize or penalize partners um, in the, the, the way drawings are paid out or distributions are paid out? Uh, and, and if so, do you think that's better done targeting individual partners or, or the partners as a whole? Great question. I think I think given the UK LLPs as we have them now, there needs to be more of an element of personal jeopardy to get behaviour changing. And I think it would be good to have that level of incentivization or disincentivization to be able to shift some of the behaviours in this area. I think that one of the key things to think about is really just the wider engagement of the partnership group as a whole and how aligned they are with the commercials. But one of the things that we've seen work really well is where CNRs are almost targeted in groups or kind of quadrants of activity or quartiles, and then they can be coached and managed. And I think as long as they're given the resources and support to be able to make the changes they need, and it's not very specific to case type, and there are others in their area that have, for example, better lockup for clinical negligence, for example, I think it's something that firms should absolutely consider using. Not simply because other partners will be asked to put in more capital or hold back some of their drawings to fund other people's poor financial behaviours. Victoria, can I, can I ask a question, a question of you in terms of banks' attitude towards firms that are, are well run, should we say, from a financial point of view? So when, if, if a firm comes to you and is seeking some sort of funding, um, how much emphasis do you put on how good their lockup is and sort of how does that impact on how you might view a firm from a funding perspective? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question, Giles. And, and, and you know, obviously, we're not looking at one size fits all, but it, it is absolutely a, a point of reference for us because it is, as you say, a hygiene factor, uh, sort of an insight into how businesses, how the firms are being run and part of a number of aspects that we would look at if approached um, by a firm to, to borrow from uh, from HSBC. And I suppose stating the obvious, you know, going back over the last few years, probably decade, actually the cost of money has been relatively low. Absolutely. So you could argue, actually, if a client's not paying me, it doesn't really make that much difference if I've got cash, you know, yeah. in the business. But with interest yeah. rates, you know, at a sort of relatively high level, certainly compared to the last decade, you know, borrowing money uh, or not having money on deposit to earn interest is actually costing the firm uh, an actual sum of money that um, could otherwise be um, distributed to the partners. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Claire, just uh, picking up on the uh, the conversation around engaging partners, what top tips might you give a firm who may be listening today in terms of how do you engage partners to engage on the subject of lockup? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because this is the kind of make or break for lots of firms in terms of how they engage their partners. So one thing that firms do often, which doesn't work, is kind of nagging everyone with a blanket approach. What we find really much more effective is not presenting reams of numbers in terms of data, but making it kind of graphic or visual so that it's much easier to understand, you know, red, amber, green kind of style. League tables can be good when you've got a competitive group of partners, particularly if they're all in the same practice areas as each other, to make sure that they're seeing where they are on the leaderboard for, for lockup um, days. One of the other really interesting things that we see is ways of engaging partners in putting them into different categories and figuring out which ones are underperforming versus a really high level of work in progress. So if you make small tweaks with those partners, you get a really big financial impact. So we see firms segmenting some of those partners off into a different group or fears and working with them on more of a coaching basis to change some of their behaviours day to day. And that can have a huge financial impact on the firm 
with quite a small amount of effort from management time in terms of coaching those people through and working with them. And then also there's just also thinking about things like do you want to change the way that you're remunerating partners on a cash accounting basis rather than um, more of a kind of profit billing basis that can be interesting. And one of the other things as well is keeping partners informed throughout the year so that they can see what their numbers are on a consistent basis. Lots of firms are using some interesting dashboarding tools to be able to do that that sits on top of their practice management systems. Um, whether it's one they've created themselves like Power BI or an external one like Catcher or a few others in the market, they can be really interesting to make sure that CNAs are always aware of what their numbers are and what their target number is to make sure that there's never any excuses for not knowing. So I think I think all of those things combined together, but bringing in a, a level of positivity and support and that competitive nature can really, really help drive people in the right behaviours. Uh, thanks, thanks, Claire. Um, if I was to ask you, Giles, if I could come to you, what else is on the horizon? Yeah, I hesitate to use the words tax and basis period reform because that normally means people switch off. But yeah. Don't hang on, hang on, just for a few more minutes because this is important. If you don't currently have a March year end as an LLP, you are going to find in the next few years that you're having to pay money over to HMRC on behalf of your partners earlier than you do at the moment. And of course, a lot of firms that don't have March year ends use that tax reserving as a way of keeping some cash in the business. I, you're not paying the money to HMRC or your partners, you're hanging on to it, in some cases, yeah, well over a year, um, until it has to be paid. That is no longer going to be available to the extent it is now. So everything else being equal, forget the need to invest in everything, as we talked about earlier. Actually, everything else being equal, if you're not on March year end, you are going to have less cash in your business going forwards. So the ask of all, and actually it is a plea for firms out there, is that if you haven't assessed the impact of the basis period reform, you really ought to get on and do that now. And if you have assessed the impact, what you need to do is work out where you are going to identify that shortfall that you're going to experience. Is it going to be an improvement in lockup or are you going out to uh, get some more debt or get partner capital to come in? My, my starting point is the amount of lockup you have in the firm is the easiest option you have to try and fill the void that these HMRC accelerated payments are going to create. Yeah, no, absolutely, Giles. Thank you for that. And you should say, actually, when we ran our survey, the HSB survey, so 70% of firms are, have uh, stated that they will be impacted and they will need to pay significantly higher taxes on its profits as a result of the transitional year, which is, as you quite rightly say, 2023 to 2024. Um, so it's definitely an area to focus on. Well, thank you both for, for providing such invaluable support for uh, for our legal firms listening in on this podcast. If I was to put you on the spot right now, if there was one top tip or takeaway that any of the firms listening today should think about, what should it be? And if I can come to you, Claire, first. I think my top tip would be to get the boring, boring work of including financial management every single day in every single conversation internally and make sure it's really, really hammered home and not just looked at once every three months or, you know, in periodic conversations, but day to day, it's pretty painful to get embedded in the culture, but once it's embedded, it pays off massively. Thanks, Claire. And I'm going to come to you, Giles. You've had a couple of seconds to think about it. Yeah, so, um, right, you hopefully will get something inspiring there for. Well, I'm going to come a bit left field on mine. I accept it is sometimes difficult to change embedded 
procedures and approaches with clients. So my suggestion is get the finance team to work with a partner who is just starting, just engaging on a new matter and get to see whether you can actually deploy a different approach. So be very upfront about the fee quote, be very upfront about when you're going to bill the client, send a fee on account, send regular monthly fees, and just see if that works on that example. Maybe do it on a handful of examples and just see if that actually has an impact. And if so, you then hopefully got some evidence to deploy across the rest of the firm. Giles, Claire, thank you. Thanks very much. You've been listening to HSBC Talks Business. To follow up on any of the topics raised in this episode, or find out how HSBC support your business, please contact your relationship manager. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.